Hello and welcome to Teaching Notes, the brand new podcast for the Music Teachers Association. My name's Patrick Johns. I'm a professional musician, trombonist, a radio producer, and most importantly, a music teacher. And of course, a proud member of the Music Teachers Association. So what can you expect from this podcast? Well, I'll be looking at all aspects of music education, from meeting individual teachers to some quick CPD and ideas for lessons and schemes of work, to industry professionals who'll be able to share some of what they're up to outside the classroom. In today's edition, we're going to hear from the MTA's current president, Simon Toyne, highlighting a few crucial matters in music education today, as well as giving you a bit of an overview of the MTA itself. We've also got an introduction to a scheme of work using looping from teacher Michael Wright. But first, it's time to meet the teacher. This is where one of us, a music teacher just like you or me, introduces themselves and gives an overview of their schemes of work, problems they've encountered, and some helpful advice and so on. For this episode, we're off to Peterborough. My name's Helena McKillop. I'm at the Peterborough School as Director of Music. I've been here, this is my ninth year now. In fact, I've been um, Heads of Music, Directors of Music since the since coming out of the PGCE. Um, started in a comprehensive school at the age of 23, running my own department, and that was the best start I could possibly have had. And then I moved through. In fact, I went to senior management for a very short period of time, um, and that, as a musician, is, wasn't the pathway I particularly enjoyed, hence coming back into music. I uh, was a recorder player and pianist. Uh, in fact, I went on to a performance course at Amsterdam, in Amsterdam Conservatoire, uh, Svalent Conservatoire rather, but I decided at that point that teaching was my um, my forte, so I went into teaching rather than performance. Uh, key stage three, I've um, introduced new booklets that the students have, so it enables the curriculum to be progressive. Each project has a link, so they're not just standalone, they can actually see a journey through their music. And we adapt those every single year. I ask the students at the end of the year what worked for them, what didn't work for them, so that really enables me to um, improve them. I, I don't tend to cover the history of music in terms of classical, romantic periods like that because I feel that that's, I'm not saying that's not important, but I feel that's really more of a GCSE aspect. My role, I feel, um, is to engage the students. I want to put their music into context. In year seven, you don't know where they've all come from. So we start off with the instruments of the orchestra, which I'm sure that's covered <laughs> nationwide. But it's how you engage with them. And I say in terms of some projects that haven't worked for me, I always question my teaching and whether it's too teacher-led, whether there's enough pupil involvement, and also combining it in terms of pair work, group work. Um, in terms of topics, um, we're currently doing blues. And again, that's when I, when I first went into teaching, I didn't know what blues was. I mean, I was a classical musician, uh, so that was a real eye-opener. And I've taught that in lots of very bad ways, but I'm hoping I've, I've nailed it now. I absolutely love it. It's so engaging. There's so many different levels because you have a mixed ability. All of us have mixed ability music groups. Um, I would say. So engaging the beginner right through to your more experienced grade eight. And I think that's a wonderful topic um, in which you can do that. And what they're currently doing, they've just written a blues project, The History. But it's not just about the history of the blues. What I ask them to do is they choose a song that they listen to now and they have to do a timeline going back to the blues. And I said, right, anyone's into grime, I said, I guarantee you that that goes right back to the blues. So it's putting the history of the blues into the context and then we go on to rock and roll. And then, in fact, this year I'm starting new projects where we're going through the, the decades because I feel it's really important for them to have an understanding of that. The year eights, they tend to go through the world. and So we do a whole variety of world music. And I have to say I was really engaged with them um, when we went to the 
MTA conference and the gumboot thing. I love that. And the resources there. So if anybody can get a chance to go to the MTA conference, it's wonderful in terms of gaining new resources and getting new ideas. And again, new ideas on how to teach things too. In Key Stage 3, we do rhythm notation. In fact, my year eights, we've, uh, year seven, sorry, we do rhythm notation. There's a wonderful topic. I don't know whether anybody remembers, but music matters. Uh, there was a good topic called All Stations 2. And I've used that. I love it. Um, So we do that. And it's a wonderful start to their rhythm. And uh, we use Sibelius um, to to do that. It's a good um, introductory level. Then what we do in year eight is we do notation. Um, And then we do major scales and they write their own composition in C major. In fact, what we then do is they write their own minimalist compositions. um, Again, using Sibelius. And I find minimalism is a very good step in, particularly Sibelius, because you're cutting, copying, pasting. And they can see some real progress very quickly with their works. But they have to write their cells on manuscript, pen and paper, good old pen and paper, before we put it onto the computer. So in summary, really, we do um, rhythm notation in year seven, as well as obviously the other topics. A lot of singing in year seven. In year eight, staff notation. And then year nine is very much the history of the pop music. So yes, we do cover that. So it gives them a little bit of a taster at the start of their course. In terms of Key Stage 3 to GCSE, I find the jump from those two uh, the key stages are really significant. I think I've learned over the years to do this, but I, I run a theory group. So I run this theory group. When I see a student doing grade one or grade two, I say, right, let's get on to theory now. Or if anybody's interested in doing GCSE, right, okay, let's start doing theory. I find that the grade five theory is a very, very good grounding. And in fact, I teach grade six theory as well now because I find that incredibly helpful, particularly for A-level, but of course beneficial to GCSE if there's anybody at that stage. But I think having a very good grounding in theory beyond the classroom um, and running that as a lunchtime club is uh, really beneficial. And actually, if you've got students turning up to that club, they're showing commitment to, to the subject. But without that theoretical knowledge, it's very tricky. I had a student, in fact, last year, I had, um, right, this is, <laughs> people are going to go back and say, I had three students. doesn't sound very many, but we've got a year group of 35. One student who is grade six clarinetist, but never been taught theory. He teach, has clarinet lessons outside of school. And then I had two other students who are similar standard, but they'd done their grade five theory. And I'd, I'd had a conversation with his mother beforehand saying, look, I, I just want to give you a heads up. He's going to really need some theory lessons, extra theory lessons. Um, and advice wasn't taken on board and the lad came in and he was just way out of his depth. And I really, really felt for him. Um, but I, I offered as much as I could externally, but he then decided to go to drama. So that was one of my not such successful stories. And I really feel that that's, um, I, in some ways, let him down. But in terms of preparation, I really do think the theory side is essential uh, for students. GCSE. I've been doing Edexcel. I've been doing Edexcel for a number of years. Um, I do like the examination for board for Edexcel. I I teach OCR privately to a private student. Um, and it, I can see it, it's more broad, actually, from my personal perspective. What I like about the Edexcel is the fact you do have eight set works that do go through time. And yes, the questions are harder. But what I'm trying to say here is I think it's a very good step up to A-level. I think if I was teaching just up to GCSE in this school, I would be choosing a different examination board. But because I am preparing my students for A-level, I find Edexcel is very good GCSE preparation work for that. With regards to A-level, I've changed from Edexcel because I felt that that wasn't suitable for our students. It's too much. In fact, I was having a conversation with a, a learned colleague of mine who's incredibly intelligent and he just said he was struggling with the analysis of all of the works he just the work was just incredible so I was like going okay if you're struggling then I'm not going to be able to cope with that one so I've moved over to Educas 
I really, really like it. And I've chosen the symphony um, and I thoroughly enjoyed doing the research on that. Um, and the 20th century, currently, that's that's a topic that I'm about to start researching. I'll be covering that next year. And the jazz. And the jazz, I love the jazz aspect. Again, it will follow on from what we've been studying in Key Stage 3. I like that, that because it's such a short period of time. And there's some really good resources out there um, for jazz, as there are for everything else. But I find that the jazz thing is just really um, very, very interesting. Um, so yes, I've moved over to Educast as well. With the Educast, you get an examiner coming in and um, listening to their performances. Um, and there's a really good network if anybody's looking at Educast. Very good network of um, teachers, directors of music who are running courses for their A-level students. Helen and McKillop there with a detailed overview of the music curriculum at the Peterborough School. And having been there recently to judge their Battle of the Bands competition, I can say firsthand what a terrific atmosphere there is in the school and in the department. And the bands are pretty good too. If you'd like to tell us about your own music department and the work that you do, then please do drop us a line, media at musicteachers.org. We're going to have a little bit of CPD now. Music teacher Michael Wright is here to tell us about his own scheme of work based on looping. Hello, my name's Michael Wright. I'm a teacher at Key Stage 3 and GCSE music level. I've also taught BTEC level 2 and level 3 and the NCFE Level 2 Music Technology Programme. So I'm here to talk to you about a scheme of work that I have devised where students get to work with loop pedals and use the skills associated with looping, such as beatboxing and adding instruments to create a a layered piece of music based upon Ed Sheeran's Shape of You. Prior to the loop pedal scheme of work, many of my students had limited experience if no experience in regards to music technology say working with cubase elements or working with logic and garage birth and so forth so i thought would be a really good idea for them to get them into using daws without feeling too intimidated was to start with the loop pedal process therefore they're able to use the skills that they already know with a piece of technology that it's fairly easy to use So I asked my music department to come up with at least 10 or 12 loop pedals in which students could get into pairs and learn how to loop and layer music via the means of beatboxing or using instruments such as a keyboard or electric guitar, electric bass or anything that plugs into a jack socket. So how it works is that students have a lead sheet of Shape of You and the lead sheet is broken up into various sections so you've got your drum beat you've got your bass you've got your riffs you've got your chords and so forth and so forth and the idea is that one layer at a time they start adding in the different components it's also as i stress to my students a very easy topic to get into especially when it comes to keyboard work because essentially all you really need is one finger to play a note and then if they so wish they could play a riff in and then double it up with another riff another riff and so forth and so forth so i wanted to try and almost remove the barrier of a lack of keyboard skills for a lot of the students and just get them into the case of just making music with what they know in terms of skills learnt well students learn about layering uh they can also learn about texture and they're also learning a little bit about beatboxing too as well they're using their mouse to manipulate certain sounds. Uh, I normally do a lesson on them on beatboxing and percussion work. So I show them some really cool videos with Tom Fum on YouTube and that gets them excited and gets them inspired about how they can create parts 
themselves. In terms of where it builds upon, I always have the loop pedal scheme of work before I introduce uh, Cubase elements to my students. So I have it before then, so they get used to looping and they get used to the practical work. And then they'll have the idea to transfer what they've learned on the loop pedals to Cubase elements. In terms of problems that I've encountered with it, the stereotyp jack cables for some reason don't work on the boss loop pedals that we use so after buying in a, a load of stereotyp jacks and realizing they don't work we had to quickly buy in the monotip ones so if you're using the boss pedals then definitely buy a monotip ones uh, in terms of the pricing it can be quite expensive uh, I've, off the top of my head i think you're looking at around about 70 to 90 pounds per loop pedal if you buy the boss ones so you you times that by 10 or 12 Already you've got an expense there in your department, as well as the various cables and adapters that you uh, need for this one. But what I found, if you're already using a DAW and using GarageBand or Logic, this loop scheme of work can easily work on that. And instead of using a loop pedal, you can just set up a, a Logic file and the students will be able just to, to loop and to create and record their parts on there. And then you just set up different channels for that one. So it's easily transferable to a DAW. Thank you very much to Michael Wright for that introduction to his scheme of work on looping. I have to say, it's not something I've ever included in my own teaching, looping, but I think I'm going to talk to Michael about this at the next MTA conference. And talking of the conference, for those who don't know, the Music Teachers Association annual conference is one of the highlights of the year. It takes place every May and is hosted in a school by one of the MTA members. As well as a huge trade fair and some excellent networking opportunities, the three days of CPD sessions covering everything from jazz and blues to collaborations with music hubs, A-level compositional guidance and endless workshops run by industry professionals. This year the conference is going to be in St Paul's School in Barnes, South West London. And if you're not already a member of the MTA, then I would urge you to join. And if you'd like to share some of your schemes of work with us on this podcast, please do email me, media at musicteachers.org. We'd love to hear from you. Sharing good practice has never been easier. And now on to the last interview for this first episode. The MTA's current president, Simon Toyne, was very busy in 2019, not only running the MTA and, of course, doing his day job, but he was also a regular panellist at several major music education conferences. I caught up with him backstage at a recent debate. Thank you for joining us, Simon. Could you give us a quick uh, career overview so people know sort of who you are and where you're coming from? Yeah, well, I started teaching straight out of university when I was 21 uh, and started working in a state grammar school in Kingston-upon-Thames. Um, and the job was to run the choir with a little bit of teaching on the side. I trained on the job and really fell in love with the profession and stayed there at Tiffin School for 24 years, becoming also head of general studies and then uh, head of house, uh, director of music, eventually, and then also assistant head. And one of the exciting things I had there was the role of leading the arts college side of the school, building relationships with neighbouring schools and the local community, setting up ensembles, including the Tiffin Children's Chorus and the Thames Youth Orchestra, and really thinking hard about the purpose of a school in its community. Alongside that, I had the tremendous privilege to direct a terrific choir, the Tiffin Boys Choir, um, and we worked with the Royal Opera House on hundreds of performances and the leading London orchestras, uh, took them on tour around the world, and it was all great fun. And then, four and a half years ago, a job came up 
uh, for a multi-academy trust, the David Ross Education Trust, as Executive Director of Music. And this role is looking after the position of music in 22 primary schools, 11 secondary schools and a special school, all separated around the East Midlands. And I got that job and it's tremendously exciting. So that's my current role. Alongside that, I'm also director of the Rodolphus Foundation Choral Courses uh, and conduct choirs and orchestras um, in my free time. And for those who don't know, could you briefly explain what the Music Teachers Association is and what it does? The Music Teachers Association is the longest established organisation of music teachers in the country. It used to be called the MMA, and uh, the name change uh, a couple of years ago has also come uh, hand-in-hand with a change in direction. We really want it to be the case that every music teacher in the country belongs to the MTA. At the centre of it is it's run by teachers, for teachers, whether you be primary or secondary, state, independent, instrumental, peripatetic, choral leader, band leader, uh, what have you. We're all in this together. Uh, And when we meet at the conferences and CPD sessions across the year and across the country, there's a tremendous sense of energy uh, around there. And also, because we're all practising musicians, uh, we solve problems. So every time members of the MTA meet, things get done. Could you tell me about the debate today and uh, what you're hoping to get out of it? So we're all here today at City University to discuss the position of the music curriculum in schools. And it's a really urgent issue uh, because we know that music is being squeezed in schools. There are other competing pressures um, which are well documented. But there's underneath this um, thinking about we're not clear enough about why music exists in schools. Yeah, we know uh, people, everyone loves music. Uh, whether they be a a child or adult at whatever stage in their life. Um, But how is the music that they encounter in schools connected to that? Is it something that is seen as an irrelevance? Is it something that, on the other hand, develops their musical knowledge and musical skills? Is it something whose purpose is to make them a better person or to make them better academic? Or is there something intrinsic to music education which is worthwhile in itself? By expounding upon this, you could probably (laughs) get the impression that it's the latter, really. But I don't think there's enough clarity about that in the country. Uh, And there's a tremendously fruitful time now in that lots of people within the profession are coming together to grapple with these difficult issues and hopefully to create some sense of urgency about finding solutions. And what would you say is the most pressing matter in music education today? Well, it's why we have music in schools and everyone understanding that. Uh, You know, so often we hear arguments well-intentioned for music about, well, you know, they've got all this hard work going on, but they need a bit of downtime. Well, that's actually not the purpose of music education, that it's just there to give people a good time and to mop up the rest of the hours in the school day. There's something that, when we get it right in schools, has tremendous power in its own right and transforms the educational experiences of young people their families and their communities at large. 
But of course, because we don't have that sense of clarity yet, that's affecting all kinds of issues, not just where it sits within the curriculum and within the timetable, but also about attracting the very best thinkers and the very best musicians to make their lives in music education. Now, I think this is the best job in the world, and I'm so thrilled that I happened to get into this job as a teacher. I wouldn't do anything else. But I do worry that it's not as inviting a profession as it should be for most musicians. And why do you think that is? Well, there are all kinds of reasons. You know, uh, 70% of secondary schools are one-person departments, and that can be very tough. If you're an English teacher, you've got four or five teachers to bounce ideas off. You've got your natural subject community um, there. Every waking moment, uh, well, every waking moment, every waking moment at your, in the school, amidst the natural conversation, you're touching on the craft of teaching and you're touching on getting more at one with your subject. Now, that's denied to most music teachers uh, in the country. It's where MTA is really important, obviously being part of a wider organisation like that. But it can be a very lonely business. And, you know, we learn from each other. I I was privileged as a 21-year-old to be working under uh, an absolute genius called David Neald, Uh, who had been teaching since 1965. And I learned so much from him and from others uh, around there. So I I think that's that's probably the most um, important reason. But coming up alongside that, the most successful music teachers, I think, and the most happy music teachers, are those who you can see being musicians for most of the day at work. And you know, realising that you, you hone your craft as a musician, um, not just through taking rehearsals with, with, with children, where, of course, when you're doing that, you have to be able to be concise and effective and use that 20 minutes or half an hour effectively, but actually through what you do in, in the classroom. There's that sense of extraordinary joy we get when we see children making music in an informed way in a classroom and you know that that's because they're in a really positive environment so I think allowing music teachers to be musicians and to take risks and to build their sense of musical community is something that we see very good music teachers do but it's not all that obvious I think to those starting in the profession and uh, just finally Simon what was the last piece of music that you listened to I love these questions. It's the new recording of American in Paris using the Urtex edition. It's by Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra and Louis Langray. And it's revelatory. Uh, I mean, from details like the four taxi horns have been at the wrong pitch until now. It's It's a quirk of notation. And also that the original version, there's three minutes worth of material which was later excised. And it connects it far more to a European tradition. Also, the playing of the Cincinnati Orchestra is incredibly clean. You know, it's as if you're listening to Suzuki conducting the Barcolage in Japan, you know, and, and it's in this repertoire. So that's been a really great find. And also on the disc is the Stravinsky Symphony in Three Movements and Verez Amarique. So it's a great disc. Great, thank you. And finally, if you had to choose one recording, what would your Desert Island disc be? Oh, that's, that's a really tough one, isn't it? If it's just one piece. You know, I mean, if it was lots of pieces, I'd take the Bruckner Symphonies, that'd be great, and maybe the complete works of Bach, but that'd be greedy. So I think I'm going to go slightly left field here and choose quite um, a concise work, but one in which I think 
it marries head and heart completely, marries those exquisite moments with architectural greatness, and it's the Rachmaninoff Rhapsody on a theme of Paganini. I, I think it's one of the most perfect pieces ever written. And of course, there's that amazing moment where this theme is transformed to be one of the most romantic melodies uh, ever made. I, I think there's something really glorious about that. Um, and then the involvement of the, of the plain song um, Dies Irae, those sort of minute moments of filigree pianistic delicacy against the whole sweep of the orchestra. Yeah, I think that would keep me going until the rescue ship arrived. Thank you to Simon Toyn, the current president of the Music Teachers Association, for those thoughts given backstage at a recent debate. And thanks to you for listening to Teaching Notes, this brand new podcast from the Music Teachers Association. If you're not already a member of the MTA, please do consider joining. Full information is available at musicteachers.org or by emailing media at musicteachers.org. For just over £60 a year, you get a whole host of benefits, such as a music department directory, a fantastic termly magazine crammed with interviews, advice and features, and of course, the annual conference. If you'd like to be featured in this podcast, then please do email me media at musicteachers.org Thank you for listening and make sure you catch the next edition of Teaching Notes next month. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.